You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 207 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. And I want to announce that in addition to our beautiful, sexy, good-smelling, very financially stable Patreon patrons... We also have GameMat.eu as a supporter and a sponsor, and we love them, and they provide you with STL files and neoprene game mats and resin pre-painted terrain and all sorts of stuff. They also have a fold-up table that is really, really popular. It's a 4 by 6 table that people love because, well, it collapses and folds up. It's very cool. It's an aluminum table. Anyway... I'm getting on a tangent. We have a new sponsor for the show in addition to them, and I'm very excited about it. Did you know that 30% of men by the age of 35 experience hair loss? Well, that can be prevented with keeps... No. <laughs> gotcha. That's not the sponsor. All right, I'm going to start the real commercial here. Tampax is the new sponsor of our show, and it's not just for ladies anymore, gentlemen. With their new lumberjack sticks, you can bravely face Taco Night. Wait a second. No, that's not the sponsor. What is the sponsor? There's this is really nice group of people. They're sponsoring Shorehammer this year, and they were very eager to donate a bunch of terrain for Shorehammer this year. It's some sort of terrain company, I feel. I'm hold on, I'm doing sort of like a clairvoyant sort of thing. Um I'm seeing the panhandle of Florida in the US of A. And I'm seeing some sort of construct that is 3d printed from some sort of machine oh i wish i wish i knew what a 3d printing company from the panhandle of florida would be called something like panhandle 3d up oh, that's what it was panhandle 3d they do 3d terrain 3d scatter terrain and all sorts of objective markers and all sorts of stuff actually um they have been a sponsor of Shorehammer in the past. They're going to be a sponsor this year of Shorehammer. And I've I've worked with Gregory quite a few times in the past, ordering train from him and uh, him supporting the convention. So it seems like, once again, instead of getting Raid Shadow Legends or something stupid to support the podcast, right? We get products that we love and we support and they support us and it's one big happy family so in addition to gamemat.eu we have panhandle 3d which is the sponsor of the show today in addition to the very i mean like really abnormally well-endowed patreon patrons and just like gamemat.eu's 10 percent off which is event 10 at checkout to get 10 percent off your order from gamemat.eu correct yes you remember also, Panhandle 3D is offering 10% off their entire store to my listeners, which I'm excited about, and that is Podcast 10. So you have Event 10, and you have Podcast 10. And either way, you're saving 10% off, and that is awesome. Um, now, Panhandle 3D has a very large selection of terrain. They've, of course, licensed out a lot of the things that um, some of the terrain creators, you know, they license them out to 3D printers. So they got a lot of cool stuff. They've got sci-fi, fantasy ruins. They've got 15 millimeter stuff. Um, and a lot of the buildings and ruins, you can either make 28 millimeter or 32 millimeter. You can size them differently, which I like. And personally, I always just go with a 32 millimeter. All the terrain I bought from them, I always 
if the option is there for 32 millimeter, I select that just because I like bigger terrain. 28 millimeter is totally fine for Warhammer or whatever, but if I'm going to buy a building, I would rather just be that little bit bigger, personally. They've got a huge selection of terrain, and you get free shipping with orders over 80 bucks. So you know what? You can go get a full table of terrain and get free shipping and 10% off with Podcast 10. Think about that. That's the gift that keeps on giving, isn't it? I think it is. You know, I mean, it makes a perfect gift, too. Either um, game mat mats or 3D printed terrain or resin terrain. I would get them for, you know, like a, a young niece or nephew that's just learning to walk or crawl. Even if they can't talk, they could appreciate like a ruin or a space uh, space building. Uh, get one of these for a grandma. Grandma would love a neoprene mat of some sort of ancient city. Come on now. I mean, you're being ridiculous if you think that's not the case. Anyway, I'm very excited to add Panhandle 3D to our repertoire of people that we are working with. And GameMat.eu is their website, and Panhandle3D.com is their website. Go figure. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it is. All right, so what are we talking about today? Enough of that. The real talk for today is how I am quickly becoming irritated with Citadel paints, and there's a multitude of reasons, and I will explain that in that segment. We also have a letter from Marcus, which is one of the sweetest and nicest letters that I've ever received, and I can't wait for you to listen to it. We also have some stupid-ass, endless spell, something-something, cheese dragon of grr, something-something. It's dumb. Anyway, (laughs) I guess it's a (laughs) spoiler. It's a spoiler for that segment, but legit, it's dumb. I hate it. I hate it so much. I'm just going to come out and say it. But I still need you to listen to that segment to find out how much I hate this model. One of the worst models GW's ever made, IMO. What have I been up to? Well, I played James in another narrative game yesterday where we did not use victory points, we didn't use stratagems, and it was very fun, except it did develop narratively exactly how you'd expect. So, and it's entirely my fault. So, he crushed me. He completely crushed me. He brought Chaos Space Marines, and we did our old thing where we we did it last week where we we make four 500 point lists and then your opponent picks one of them he doesn't want to face, right? Well, that sealed my fate because I was playing my Dark Eldar, but this is a very different list than what you're used to. I decided that I wanted to do Dark Eldar but bring all like uh Claude Fiends and Chimera and Razorwing Flocks and Beastmasters And I've made this special Archon that is basically like a trophy hunter. He's got like a scope in one hand and he's got this um, like forked staff. And I also made him his own Venom so he can run around in that. I got a 3D printed chair and I made a copy of the guy on foot and put him in the chair. And he also has the same head, the same body, the same staff and the same uh, scope. So I have, a, I have a version of him sitting in like a throne, basically, on the hunt in the back of a Venom, and it's magnetized. And then I've also got a version of him on foot when he gets out of the Venom. So I really like that. I think it's a neat touch. And uh, so obviously everyone pretty much knows that Claude Fiends and the Chimera and the Razorwing Flocks are pretty much pointless. Claude Fiends are okay, and the Chimera have a slight role to play with the 5-up Invol, kinda. They're all very fast, but... Mm, not great. And the Razorwing Flocks are pretty much pointless. I mean, if you're going to be doing, like, um, trying to capture an objective far away or something, but the minute they get shot, they're toughness two. 
and their save is a seven up. So yeah, there's nothing, there's no like minus one to hit them because they're a flock of birds, nothing like that. And they can't be buffed by any of the obsessions you pick and they can't be buffed by any of the anything. Like they don't even get power from pain. So it's basically playing Dark Eldar without any of the benefits of being Dark Eldar. So I knew that I was already like pretty much screwing myself, right? And then I continued to screw myself because one of his four, uh, 500 point lists had Abaddon in it and another one had two Defilers. And you probably know from playing Dark Eldar at some point that they don't do very well against vehicles to begin with. You have to pick like very like Haywire Blaster or something like that that's specifically anti-vehicle. Now, Dark Eldar do very well against infantry and beasts and all that because of the poisoned rule. So I, just hating named characters and knowing that Abaddon's a real beast, and in the past, Defilers were never particularly good, so I thought, ah, well, I'd rather deal with two Defilers and just ignore them versus deal with Abaddon and all the cultists and all the stuff that was in that list. So I forgot that I really didn't have anything good to do against vehicles, and I cut out Abaddon's list. Well, those Defilers have gotten a bit of a glow up, and they put in some serious work. They were killing stuff in melee, killing stuff in shooting. I mean, just tearing up the board. And that was when I realized I done goofed. And he pretty much tabled me. The idea behind the game is just like before, where we don't use uh, victory points or anything like that. And we're just going with a narrative. So the narrative for this week was that I am a person that collects, you know, exotic animals and things like that. And I come down on this planet and I'm trying to capture people for slaves and maybe they've got some unique animals or whatever. So I want to control this area and which is the table. Meanwhile, he was already on the planet and they're purging everybody that's there and killing them for sacrificing and all that. So basically we did table quarters. It's um whoever had the most units in each table quarter and each unit had to wholly be within the table quarter at the end of the game would win or tie or whatever. It wasn't points, it was just how much board control you could do. And he tabled me... I mean, he didn't... We quit before he tabled me, but he had shredded me by the end of turn three. So probably the end of turn four or so, I would have been dead. It's possible that I might have had a unit survive by the end of turn five, but it was very not likely. And uh, it was a real massacre. So to me, I'm thinking, oh man, my guy chose the wrong planet and the wrong time to come get some more animals, you know, and he released all of his animals to feed on whoever was living on this planet. And little did he know, oops, chaos is already here and they're angry and they have angry defilers. So, I mean, really, if you think about it, given my bad list and all of that, I mean, it came out completely narrative. This guy comes, comes to the wrong place at the wrong time with clearly the wrong forces, and then Chaos just mops the floor with them. We didn't need a million secondaries, we didn't need to calculate points every five minutes of, oh, we've got this many CP, we spent this many CP, we've, you know, oh, well, this, that's three points at the end of the player phase, oh, that's three points at the end of the turn, oh, at the end of the game, I get five points. None of that. And it was very easy to see who won. Like, you can pretty much just judge it. So that's two games I've played in that that fashion, and they're fun, and you feel like there is a reason you've given yourself some context into why you're playing, and uh, they're really fun. So we had a good time, even though I got crushed, but 
I wasn't attached to it. You know, I'm thinking this is the story. I'm playing out the side and it's not bothersome to be crushed because, hey, this guy picked the wrong day, you know? Um, so I also had three fantastic brutality games at the local store this week. The first one was a campaign game for our local campaign and I crushed my friend Matt. I was firing on all cylinders. I knew my stuff. I played it well. Uh, he did not make that many great decisions. Uh, he kept expecting his dice rolling to turn south and go bad, but it never really did. Um, he rolled pretty average. I mean, a couple times maybe, but in Brutality, there's always some bad rolls. And uh, really, it just wasn't some very good uh, decisions on his part. And at the end, I won 5-1. to one. And that was only my third win, so now I am 3-3-1 three, three, and one in the store campaign. I was 2-3-1. and one. Uh, So that's not a great one, but he is like 5-2 and two is what he is. So he's got a much better record than I do. And um, I guess it was just an off night. You know how we all get those sometimes. So I beat him pretty soundly there, and neither one of us lost a model, which was neat. And... Um, Anyway, I'm really proud of how I was able to use my abilities and, and when to use them and, and all of that. So I played very well in that game. Then I played a game with my friend Connor where we did one of the narrative mission modules where you have to infiltrate the castle. And I was I brought my um, uh, Sesame Street warband. So I had Bert and Ernie, the light and dark mage, on one base. They act as a specialist, so they know four powers. And um, then I've got uh, the Count. And uh, we decided that this used to be the Count's castle, and it got overtaken by, you know, someone else, so now he's got to infiltrate the castle to, to kill the person that took it over. Well, it just so happened my friend TJ was playing Soulblight that night, so he let us use his um, his skeletons and his zombies and his uh, Vargais and all that. And, you know, the, like, centaur type of vampire, that character, I forget what their name is, but that ended up being the big boss, and... The count, I love when the narrative of the game uh, narrative of the game matches the dice rolling because the count was on fire. I mean, he he went up there, he was an assassin, so he rolls two wound chart rolls as soon as he gets in base contact with someone, and there's no saves to that. He rolled a nine and a ten right on the charge on one of the enemies. So that's a bleeding and a, a free damage, and then he murdered him in addition. Um and then when he we completely owned that other vampire that had taken over his castle. It was fantastic. I mean, the count, I was rolling so well for the count. It wasn't even funny. He was doing face gashes and bleeding and all sorts of stuff. As soon as he rolled up and he attacked that vampire that took over his castle in the very first interaction, he disarmed him. So in other words, he knocked the sword out of this vampire's hand and then he gave him a face gash. <laughs> like, damn. Uh, so come to find out, we actually had a pretty good warband. We threw you know, four people stick together, and they actually turned out pretty tough. Um, the specialists were healing, and de they were buffing and debuffing and stuff like that, so turned out well. But I had one of the best times I've ever had in a brutality game in our third game. We decided to play a narrative mission module where we are saving the town. There's these bandits that are going to be back in 24 hours. They said the whole town needs to vacate. The town doesn't want to vacate, but they can't decide on what to do. So we go in there, and we convince different... Um, it's a little bit of role playing. You you convince different leaders of the town on how you should approach it. Should you you know train some of the civilians in melee? Should you train some of them in ranged? And they're going to help you in the final battle. Are you going to set up an ambush? Are you going to set up different walls to funnel the enemy? That sort of thing. And the enemy ends up having four points more than you 
which is significant in this game. Keep in mind, one person is a point, or they might be a point and a half if they're upgraded. So these guys are definitely um, o- going to overpower you, and it's very um, important what you choose. So I had Cookie Monster and Bert and Ernie on my side, and my friend Connor had two other people. But the point, important thing is, is we decided to ambush them. Oh, and my friend David came over. He was done his Age of Sigmar game, so he played Cookie Monster. And we had decided to ambush the enemy when they came back to take the town. So they they had to deploy in the dead center, and there was ten orcs. We used Iron Jaws. Ten orcs in the middle to be the enemy. And so the very first turn, um, because of one of the benefits we got from uh, getting one of the leaders on our side, everyone started with a time slip, which was nice. A time slip token. And then Bert and Ernie gave Cookie Monster another time slip token. And then Bert and Ernie gave him a protect, but they critically passed it, so they gave him two protects. So uh, Cookie Monster was rolling in there with a 70% chance to save, which is extremely high in brutality, and two time slips. And he was a rampager, which if you don't know what a rampager is, if he deals more unsaved damage to the opponent than they did to him, then he can move six inches in any direction, and then if that puts him in base contact with another model, he can act as if he charged them as well, and on and on and on. Well, we juiced Cookie Monster up with all these protects and these time slips, and we threw him into that group of, at that point, it was nine models. He killed like two or, he killed two models before his rampage ended, and then he, uh, someone charged him, and then he killed three more models before he died. So, Cookie Monster single-handedly, in the first turn, killed uh, five people out of ten in the enemy team. And then after that, it was pretty easy to mop them up, because we had the advantage then. Cookie Monster did die, but holy crap, you could imagine in your head the idea of Cookie Monster just going, Cookie, and just like bashing skulls in, and... I don't know what was in the cookie that Bert and Ernie gave him, but he was freaking out, and it was delicious. Not to mention my Cookie Monster model that I made. Um, he's got blood on his hands and blood running all down his face like he was eating somebody. Um, so I like to think that he's already deranged and crazy in the brutal. So that was fantastic. I've never seen a Rampage go off like that. Having said that, when people see you've got a Rampager, usually they you know, stay at least six inches apart from each other to prevent your rampage. But the enemy in this case had no chance against it, and I just love the idea that they juiced up Cookie Monster, gave him some cocaine or something, and just threw him into there like a bowling ball into pins. It was fantastic. So, anyway, let's get on with the rest of the show, because I've been super long-winded already. Let's open the Tesseract Mailbox. Well, it is that time again, isn't it? It's time for Tesseract Mailbox, and today we have a letter at pimpcron at gmail.com from Marcus. And to be honest with you, this is one of my favorite messages I think I've ever gotten, so uh, you'll, you'll hear it in just a moment. He writes, Hello, Mr. Cron. I'm a longtime listener and reader of your material. I have been a fan for quite some time. I have two things to say. First off, thanks, Marcus. I I do appreciate you following me and listening to my ramblings. He continues. Firstly, I think your interview of yourself as a mystery guest is one of the funniest things you've ever done. With just some 
with just a few exceptions, you pulled it off naturally, and it was a real treat. I listened to it several times and laughed every time. I even made my girlfriend listen to it, and she thought it was humorous. I thought you might want to know that. So that's that is very nice to hear, Marcus. Um, I got some mixed reviews. Some people said it was cringy, but it was kind of supposed to be cringy. So at least you got some enjoyment out of it. And um, it actually is one of my favorite things I've done, too. Once again, if I can tickle myself, hopefully I'm tickling somebody else, right? Marcus continues. Second, I want to say that I enjoy your podcast, and at the risk of sounding really pathetic, I feel like I am listening to a friend when I listen to your show. You have a natural in formalism that reminds me of back when I had a local gaming store. While I don't always agree with your takes on things, <gasps> you generally present it in a way that is entertaining. My girlfriend says that I need to get out more and that I mention you as if we were friends. Well, Marcus, we are friends. You know, we get a good community of people. Um, and I think Wargaming has a lot of people that are just genuine, nice, um, good-hearted individuals. They, you know, the whole Wargaming community does a lot of things for charity, and, and of course, there's tryhards and all that, and they give everybody a bad, uh, reputation, but I think, by and large, at least 80% of the gamers that I've met are pretty darn nice. Even if they are whack players, they're pretty darn nice. So, um... I do appreciate you saying that we're like friends and I feel like, and it's interesting that you say that because, um, I do talk to you guys like we are friends because in my opinion, we are, if you listen to my stuff, Hey, I appreciate it. If you can support the show or whatever, Hey, I appreciate it. So, uh, I, I'm just happy to have a platform that people actually listen to what I'm saying. And, um, but what's interesting too is I don't know if I've ever mentioned this or not, but if you've ever tried to record on a podcast or something like that, if you've ever tried to just talk to yourself, like I, I sit in my closet and talk to myself because the acoustics are pretty good. Uh, if you try to just talk to yourself initially, it's very, very hard because you feel stupid. You feel self-conscious and all of that. And when I was first starting the podcast, at first I was like, oh man, this is so weird. I can't just talk to myself, you know, by myself in a room. What am I going to do? And then I looked online and people are like, oh, put a stuffed animal in front of you. And then you're talking to the stuffed animal. And I'm like, well, that's dumb. And then they're like, oh, get a picture of your family members. And you're talking to them. And I'm like, that's dumb. So finally, I was like, you know what? What I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to you guys as if I'm sitting here talking to just James or any of my friends. And we're just going to shoot the bull. And that is going to be the tone of how I talk. And um, I think it's worked pretty well. And, you know, it's kind of, I guess, kind of like I'm talking on the phone to you, I guess is what it's like. But it's interesting that you picked up on it. He says, uh, for a little background, I live in the suburbs of a big city and I'm exclusively remote working since the virus. I only go into work physically once or twice per week as the management is still really strict. I don't get to see many people to communicate. Also, the two local stores we had for gaming have been forever changed since the virus. One closed and the other became a PC-oriented store with most of their space going to renting gaming computers and trying to run tournaments. I was never a big presence in my gaming group anyway, having to work odd hours. I do have friends, though. Don't think I'm some strange person, but they are more like the type to talk about sports, etc. Anyway, I'm sure I am not the only one in this situation, so I speak for all of us when I say thank you for providing a virtual friend to discuss Warhammer with, even if the discussion is one-sided. Marcus. So, 
once again. This is one of my favorite letters I've ever gotten. Um, I appreciate you chiming in and saying that, Marcus. And don't be a stranger. Uh, be sure to email me or whatever whenever you get the chance and give me your thoughts. Maybe the discussion doesn't have to be so one-sided, right? Anyway, you guys can reach me at facebook.com slash pimpcron. Or actually, no, I think there's two Ps now. Pimpcron. And you can also reach me at pimpcron at gmail.com. So remember, I also have an Instagram, Pimpcron TV, and uh, I've got the YouTube, Pimpcron TV. Both of those have one P. And um, I'm doing my sketch comedy and all that stuff. So let's get on with the rest of the show. And thank you again, Marcus, for such kind words. Want that or want that not? All right, I know this is uncomfortable. It's on everybody's mind. This is the elephant in the room. But I'm going to just come out and say it. All right? It's time for want that or want that not. There I said it. It had to be said. Today we are discussing Kronspine Incarnate of Gur. So apparently this is a endless spell that anybody can use and it's from the realm of Gur and it is $60. Yes, $60. And I'm going to come right off the bat and just say that I absolutely hate this model. I hate everything about it. It's stupid. It's overpriced. It's just dumb. This is probably one of the very worst models GW has made in quite some time. Matter of fact, you better open up your phone right now and go look at it, because then we can all collectively laugh at it. Now, I know the Pimpcron has promised all of you that I was going to try to be more positive, right? But have you ever seen a model that is not only offensive to your senses, but also you have no idea how this got past any sort of marketing or design team, and you've got no idea which one of the executive's five-year-old children designed this model because it's so damn dumb, okay? Then, then they got one of the other executive's children, probably a little older, eight, nine, something like that, to paint this to make it look like cheese, and I don't mean like OP, like, oh, it's powerful. No, 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 literal cheese. I'll explain to you what it looks like now, now that I've done, I'm done bashing it. This is essentially supposed to, in theory, be the skeleton of a dead creature is being reanimated in this swirl of magic, right? And it has, uh, you know what the um, Celestine Prime looks like? Yeah, uh, for Stormcast, where he's got the swirl of magic around him, and there's, like, little trinkets and odds and ends stuck in it. Okay, well, it's like someone tried to reproduce that in the worst possible way. So, this is a swirl of magic, and slowly you see all these bones and stuff coming out of the ground and coalescing into this dragon-ish kind of thing, right? But then, in the middle of it, there's, like, a rock or a gem... Like this giant rock that looks like a skull, kind of. And I think this thing is being reanimated by this Tyrannosaur skull, is what it looks like. And not only does this look like a horrible, horrible kit bash, but all the swirling of magic, they painted like Velveeta cheese. It's not blue, it's not pink, it's not otherworldly. It is legitimate yellow American cheese. So this is just, it's just awful. It's just, I'm almost at a loss of words, despite having already spoke about this for three minutes. But this thing is so dumb. I have no idea how good it is on the battlefield because I don't care 
have you ever seen someone in real life and you immediately just want to punch them in the face? They might be a completely acceptable human being, but you just want to knock their teeth out because they've just got a punchable face. Well, this is the first model I've ever seen Games Workshop make that actually has a punchable face. If you bring this to the table and I'm there, I am not responsible if I fly into a rage and punch this model in the face because it's just... It's dumb. Also, did nobody see this and go, wow, it looks like string cheese, melty, melty, delicious cheese with bones stuck in it? Did nobody see that? Because it's the first thing I see. You've got all these white bones, right? And then in holding them all together is like someone pulled apart a cheesy piece of pizza and there's all these strings. It's, it is just dumb. For pre-order, dumb. $60, dumb. Velveeta cheese, dumb. So, I hope <laughs> hope that wasn't too negative for you cuz it's kind of a uh, uh, just dumb. <laughs> now it's time for real talk with Pentcron. This is the Real Talk with the Pentcron and today we're discussing Games Workshop or I should say Citadel Paints. There is a weird thing that most people, I don't think, notice about Citadel Paints uh, compared to other companies, and something that's really been irking me, kind of. So, it, be, it used to be back in the day that Citadel Paints did not change for, I mean, more than a decade. Like, you remember the old, uh, like, octagonal jars with the black lids and the blue labels with white letters, those really, really old ones? And um, eventually, they did upgrade them to the more modern pots that we know now, right? But that also came with a bunch of colors being either expanded or removed, and maybe you can't get that exact shade that you used to like, or whatever. And that was around the time, I think, 5th edition, or maybe just before that, where they started including washes, and uh, I don't think technical paints were quite a thing just yet, but washes... Uh, there was a time, a long time, where Games Workshop did not make washes at all. They just made paints. And people had to make their own washes. I used to know a guy that was pretty old school, and he would make all of his own washes. And I don't know exactly how he did it. I think he said he put a little bit of uh, soap in with the water and the paint so that it like broke the surface tension, I think he said. But I was never interested enough to actually try that, because, dude, I'm not mixing my own wash, okay? But Games Workshop ended up expanding their paint set greatly. And I know some people were upset when um, they started doing the more modern paints because they would discontinue or even if it was called the same thing, like um, I know they had more um, typical names back then, like ultramarine blue or whatever, things that you can find, things that weren't trademarkable. But let's say moot green. The old moot green what might be a completely different shade of lime green than the current moot green. So, of course, people were upset about that. And that's, you know, rightly so, right? Well, the problem is, is that, and this is what I've been thinking about this whole time, as Games Workshop keeps expanding their paint line and expanding it and expanding it and expanding it. So now we've got technicals, we've got contrasts, we've got, um, you know, layers and bases and detail and or highlight, whatever it's called. We've got all sorts of stuff. I mean, there's got to be, gosh, it's got to be over a hundred different paints they offer. Like, it's a ton. When I go into my my local store and see the racks, there's like a million paints now. So much to the point where if you if your store actually buys the GW rack of paints, it does not hold all of GW's current paint set. 
So my local store has one of those tall racks. It's a full set. It's like five feet tall. And all of those are full. And then GW eventually added on like this side thing for a lot of the contrasts. So then attached to the side of it is this a bunch of contrasts. And then <laughs> my local store has another rack, which is about the quarter size of the big rack with all the newer contrasts and things like that. And it's interesting because Games Workshop slowly um, discontinues lines. And that's a really crappy thing. Like, if you think about that for a second, um, basically the topic of this entire Real Talk is I'm not real happy with Games Workshop paints, and I'm not real happy with the price, and I'm not real happy with how they deal with it. And I'm I'm actually debating on pretty much going full-blown Army Painter or something like that. And I'll tell you the pros and cons of both of them. But essentially, let's start with how they discontinue things sometimes, right? Um, when they discontinued, I'm going to forget what it was called, but there was a the old black cap wash when they first came out with washes. They had a black cap. And there was a purple I would use for my Necrons. I would paint them silver and then wash them purple. Whatever that was, I don't think it was Drucci Violet. I think that's what the current one is called. But basically, it was a it was a purple. And when they discontinued that, all of a sudden I used the new purple. And guess what? It's either got a different pigment density or something because it does not get the same result. And that was super frustrating. So what I ended up doing is... Um, well, now those models are all gone because I've sold them and started more unique models. But the point is, is that I had to try to merge the two color schemes together. Now, a wash is way less obvious than an actual paint color, right? So there's a lot of people that get upset because you might design a whole paint scheme. You've painted your whole army with this color, whatever it may be, or this combination of colors or these washes, whatever. And then Games Workshop just decides, I guess it doesn't sell well, or maybe they can't find those materials very easily to make that paint. I don't know what the situation is, but they just decide, you know what, uh, we're not going to make that anymore. And um, tough noogies, if you designed a whole army around this color and now you can't find that color anymore, that's just uh, our bad, yo. I feel it's like how they treat it. And a lot of times it's like with no warning whatsoever. So you got to like frantically try to stock up on these different colors. And I've known people that would buy like a whole brick of six of the same paint when it's getting ready to go out because, you know, they relied on that and now that's not going to be a thing anymore. So that's, that's really crappy. And of course, with the, the multitude of different shades and colors and all of that, that games workshop makes it's sometimes you run into some very specific paints, very specific tones or colors and you might end up having to go to like a craft store color, which most of the time their pigment density is not nearly as good as Games Workshop. So it's just really, really crappy, in my opinion. Um, I know they just recently, the only one that sticks out of my head recently is they were, uh, they discontinued the Nuln Oil Gloss. So sorry if uh, you didn't know that and you rely on Gloss Nuln Oil, but uh, they no longer sell that. And there's a few others, I believe, that were discontinued. And it's just really, really crappy. So that is a huge strike against Games Workshop or Citadel Paints because they just kind of feel cavalier. I feel like if you're going to make a paint, right, it should be evergreen. You're going to always make that paint from now on. And if that means that you have to cut the number of paints or shades that you make in half 
then so be it. People can blend, people can dry brush, people can use washes, or they can mix their own with a wet palette. They can do a million things to make different shades. But it seems very irresponsible, and um, I don't know, this is all probably too strongly worded, but it seems uncaring uh, for your consumer when you're just like, F it, we're going to drop this paint, I don't care if you like it. Like, that really sucks. So that is a huge strike against them. Now, another thing, obviously, I'm not even going to go into detail about this, but they're Paint pots suck. The lid sucks. And this just came to my attention again because, as you probably know, I've been super busy, blah, blah, blah. It's this time of year. In the last couple months, I haven't opened my paints in like two or three months. It was probably early May since I've actually painted anything. And I opened several of my colors and I'm like, oh, they are dried up. Even though, no, there was no paint along the rim, like, so the lid can't close all the way or anything like that. No, it's totally fine. I usually keep those rims pretty clean. And, uh, nope, it, they're just dried up. I don't know why exactly. And honestly, I feel like at this juncture, it's got to be predatory marketing for Games Workshop. It's got to be. Because they're afraid you're not going to buy enough paint at a regular interval. So they got to make sure it dries up. And because this has been ever since they instituted this new design of the flip lid instead of the unscrew black lid with the hard plastic octagonal things. These flip lids have always, we're talking over a decade, they have always dried up your paint. Like, just always. There's never been a time that they didn't. And if over a decade you can't tell me that you're continuing to make the same thing, it's for a reason. Meanwhile, uh, Army Painter and P3 and all those other paints... They have the scroll and caps, uh, even the secret weapon paints. They all have scroll and caps. Games Workshop is the only one that is like that. So I can't help but think after a decade and the known complaint, everybody complains about it. It is definitely by design. So that's another thing against Citadel paints that is not in their favor. And of course, the last thing that I have to discuss is the price. The price of these things are pretty ridiculous. I do understand they are a business. They need to make money. I understand that there's shipping costs and uh, manufacturing costs and all that. But when all of the other companies, with a few exceptions, all of the other companies are maybe 60% of your price, then you're just pulling the Apple products deal and going, oh, you know, we're Citadel, so you can pay more if you want it because everybody wants us. And once again, that sucks. So after looking over several of my paints and debating on whether or not, well, do I want to pay $5 a pot for these stupid paints all over again when they were not nearly empty and I just wasted my money, even though I keep the rim of the pot clean and they still dried out? That's super, super annoying. And I do not feel like shelling out, you know, I don't know, a hundred bucks or maybe a little less than that to replace all of my paint pots that I already have lost. So, I am debating that I might end up with Army Painter sets, and the reason being is that they have the dropper bottles, and there's practically double the volume of paint in there. If you actually look at the milliliters or whatever, uh, it is it is like double the amount of paint, and Army Painter paints are cheaper than Games Workshop. So, what were the problems I had with it? Oh yeah, the lid, which Army Painter has the dropper bottles. And what else? Oh, yeah, the price. Yeah, Army Painter is much cheaper than Games Workshop. And what else? Oh, Games Workshop always cancels and discontinues colors that you rely on for your paint scheme. 
Well, as far as I know, I have never witnessed Army Painter discontinue a color. Now, maybe one of you that's an avid Army Painter fan would say yes, they have, but Army Painter doesn't have nearly the range of shades and colors as Games Workshop. And as I've said, the same thing with their model lines, with Games Workshop's models. The more and more and more you expand your models, the harder it is to keep up with the manufacturing of those models. Their catalog of models for Games Workshop is astounding when you think of every single box they sell for every single army across three games, including Lord of the Rings. And then, I mean, then you've got Necromunda, and then you've got all the Warcry and all that other stuff. It is astronomical. And they're trying to shuffle between them all. And that's also why you constantly see things are sold out, out of stock, all of that. And it's because they haven't been able to make more of it because they're too busy making more stuff. Which is all fine and well, but if you can't handle the supply of it, that's a problem. And the same thing goes for Games Workshop paints. Games Workshop paints are well over a hundred different shades of different contrasts, shades, and, and etc. So... Eventually, that becomes hard for you to maintain that, and then then you get discontinued lines. So it seems like Army Painter has stuck with a much more conservative and much more user-friendly design, where they're like, hey, look, we're going to produce fewer shades, but your shades are good forever. And then, you know what, if you want a particular shade that Games Workshop makes, then go ahead and buy that, that shade. Don't be surprised in a year if it's dried up. But I'm seriously considering buying one of those mega sets of Army Painter and just buying all of, you know, the, the giant set. I think it's 50 shades or something like that. And no, they're not all gray. Tee. But anyway, um, yeah, I'm thinking about buying that. And then if I need a specific color or wash, like for one of my color schemes for an army where it's going to be obvious if I replace it, then okay, fine. I'll continue with my Games Workshop paint. But, um... So that's that's my thinking right there. I feel like there's no downside except maybe availability. See, my local store, um, they sell only Citadel. And they've got a couple little boxes of Army Painter, but it's nothing, you know, there's nothing special. And even Army Painter comes with a little shaker ball bearings as well, by the way. Because I bought, I, I wanted to try uh, Army Painter paints a couple months ago. And I think I explained when I did that. It was in the winter. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna do something that uh, Games Workshop doesn't do, and it, a bunch of tinted meta- metallic colors. And Army Painter sells a group of, like, nine metallic colors, and it's pretty cheap. It's like 20 bucks for nine of them or something. And um, so I decided to buy that, and they come with a little bag of ball bearings so you can mix them. I'm like, this is amazing. The pigment color was great, the pigment density. Um, I have nothing bad to say about those whatsoever, except there is one that's a little odd. You know, they've got like a metallic pink, metallic blue, metallic green, metallic purple, metallic red, all these great metallic colors, right? And then they've got metallic black. Let that let that sink in for just a second. Metallic black. I tried putting it on a model and it just looked like some weird black. It wasn't shiny. It wasn't metallic in any sort of way. I just found that to be a really odd color. Did not care for that color. There's a metallic white, which comes off as real pearly. It's actually pretty nice. I'll have to use that for armor on something sometime. Uh, But that's the only one that I was like, what? This is weird. Metallic black. It just seems odd to me. But anyway. So that's what I say. I am going to go ahead and look up that mega set of Army Painter paints. 
and we'll see where it goes from there. So, Games Workshop, you are on warning. Thank you for listening, and thank you for supporting my show, my beautiful, sexy, good smell, and Patreon patrons, and GameMat.eu, and Panhandle3D. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. I will see you all next week.